Last week was kind of a big week in the world of Christianity, and I know Craig got to, to mention uh, really one of the, uh, the, the true heroes of the faith has passed on, uh, and in Billy Graham. Uh, and I'm sure many of you in this room are, are familiar with Billy, have heard Billy, or somehow influenced by Billy. And I, I know that we, we, we see uh, Billy Graham as a man who uh, is almost like on this pedestal, if you will. A man who rightfully so and deservedly so uh, worked hard at his craft. He was successful at what he did, and he loved proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Billy Graham serves as a great example, and some of us, uh, in a lot of ways, could be intimidated. We could begin comparing ourselves to the life of Billy Graham. I know that oftentimes when I look at Billy, it's like, how in the world does one man have so much influence? How does one man become so successful? You've heard some of the statistics thrown out recently about Billy Graham's reach, about Billy Graham's influence in the world while he was with us. And it was said that he was able to speak in front of at least a few hundred million people, a few hundred million people that he had uh, interaction with, but his influence reached further than that with the use of technology, with radio, television, and even nowadays with the internet that the estimated reach of Billy's ministry was two billion people. I mean, could you imagine what his reach and influence would have looked like in today's age with the technology we have now and the devices and the mediums that we have to be able to share the good news, I think that it could have been a lot more. But I ask the question, when I hear these statistics about Billy Graham and I hear a man who is so, success, so successful, a man who really had given so much time and effort, a man who even says, you know what, I traveled a lot, but I'd pray more, a man who really kind of, for all of us, set a, a high bar of success, I really ask myself, how was he so successful? And I look at a man like Billy, and he sets an example for you and for me today, is because, one, he understood his significance in the Lord, and because he allowed God to define his success, that made him successful. It was a simple formula for Billy. His significance was only found in the Lord, and his success was defined by God, not what he had uh, determined. And I think the ultimate question for you and me today is, is we live at our manhood, how do you and I define success? What does the world define success? How does the world define success for you? How do you define success? How does your makeup, your identity, and your value of yourself or the significance that you have pour into your success as a, as a husband, as a father, as a businessman, as a co-laborer, as a Christian? Where does your success come from. I want us to look at a passage today in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the gospel of Matthew. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see a, a moment where Jesus is really defining what success looks like, what significance looks like. He's coming out of a, of a parable of the vineyard and here he is in a setting and begins talking about serving others. Verse 20, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. 
What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant." And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus defining success. This is God's law of success. So what is the meaning of life? What is this life all about? There are three focuses that you and I can have in our lives. And the first is survival. If you're taking notes this morning, survival. We aren't really living, that we're controlled by our own circumstances, that everything around us is just circumstantial and we're just here to survive. We're just living on a, an emotional high, an emotional low, just going through survival mode. Survival can look like we absolutely hate Mondays. We simply show up to the office, we show up to our, our place of work and in employment, we're like, oh, it's Monday. You know, for the longest time, I really loved Monday because I had Mondays off. It was great. But sometimes we can simply just step into a routine and say, oh, it's Monday. And we simply say, it's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. It's all downhill from here. And then finally, it's Friday. And we're like, it's Friday. Here's the weekend. And we live this roller coaster week simply trying to survive through a week. Or perhaps survival mode is simply a treadmill. We're stationary, running in the same place over and over and over, going through the motions with no meaning, no purpose, and simply just in survival mode. Growing up when I was a small child, when I was in first grade, I had a hamster. I had a hamster. Those things are the dumbest animals. One, you you buy them and then they die two weeks later. They provide a lot of entertainment. You just put them in one of those little clear plastic balls and they just run all over the house and just run into stuff over and over again. Sometimes I think you and I can get caught in that little race and we feel like we can see everything but we're just running circles around and just bumping into things. We go into survival mode. Well, that's one way we can focus our lives. Another way we, we try to focus our lives which is building our lives about success. And the best word to describe us there would be that, you know, sometimes we get comfortable. We get comfortable with our homes, our cars, our vacations. We afford all the camps and all the activities, but the problem is we always want more. We always want more. Now, men, we're competitive in nature. At least I like to think we are. It's that Y chromosome in us. That we try to one-up each other, always try to outdo one another. That's a healthy thing. In a, lot of, in a lot of regards, it can also be detrimental to us. And you go over to someone's house, and maybe you watched a big game, and you go into their house, and they've got the, the new 
55-inch OLED LG TV that, you know, you're just like, that is phenomenal. And you go home and you look at your Magnavox 32-inch box TV that still weighs 300 pounds, and you're like, this ain't right. So you go get the 72-inch, and all of a sudden you've got this new technology, and then someone comes over and they see what you got, and they've already got that TV, but now they've got to have the surround sound system, be that same way with cars. We can get on social media and look at the lives of somebody else and define somebody el- and have somebody else's life define our success. Well, they're on that trip and they're doing that experience. I mean, I mean, I had some FOMO last night. I had fear of missing out when I saw some people at the Garth Brooks concert. I was like, man. But I'm like, you know what? That's so awesome. They get to Garth Brooks. <laughs> that's so cool. I'd love to go to Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks. But you know what, that's, that's the reality is that sometimes we can feed off of other people's success and that we would always want more for us based on what we see. A, a great question that I read is that if, if I feel so successful, how come I don't feel, feel fulfilled? If I am so successful, how come I'm not fulfilled? I got to live this out in a very real way. When I graduated from Oklahoma State University, where Garth Brooks went, by the way, When I graduated from Oklahoma State, I went into the business world and I worked for IBM as an IT specialist. Now this was great, my first year out of college I'm making $50,000 a year, okay? So first year college student, I'm like, this is great. Uh, I'm so excited, one of my guys who was helping, uh, taking me under his wing at the company is like, dude, and if you're willing to travel for the next few years with what you're doing, you can make over $100,000 a year within your first three years out of college. I'm like, yes. I loved my boss. She was a believer, loved Jesus. I loved where I was working in downtown Tulsa. IBM, great company to work for. Man, I, I, I thought I really had it. I, I journaled a lot at the time. And the first day of my job at IBM, I was writing in my journal saying, Lord, thank you again for an amazing boss. Lord, thank you for a mentor who's already taken me in. Lord, thank you for providing for me with this salary. Thank you for X, Y, Z. Keep reading, and it says, but I'm not fulfilled. You have more for me. It was at my first day at IBM that I came to the reality that being successful at IBM was different than being fulfilled by where the Lord was calling me. Eleven years later, here I am at second, and I wouldn't change it for the world. The Lord brought me here, and I got to meet my wife, get to work with a phenomenal church, do incredible ministry with an amazing church body. So many other intangible blessings that to me help define success. So what's the meaning of all this? What's the meaning of success? And I think, I think back to that rat race, the treadmill, the hamster in the, in the clear ball, because we, we tell our kids, go be awesome in high school and get good grades. I'm I'm gonna be an advocate or I'm gonna be a a middleman here and I'm just gonna pose questions, simple question of why. Why do we tell our kids to stay in high school and get good grades so they can go to college, right? Why go to college? Well, so they can get a good job. Why? Why do they need a good job? So they can get a lot of money. Why? Why do they need a lot of money? So they can be comfortable and retire at 55. 
Why? So they can spend the next 30 years playing bridge and eating out and generally indulging themselves. Why do that? Because that's all there is. Where is the meaning of all that? I think oftentimes if if we don't have a long-term goal of success in mind, we could simply go through the motions and, and tell ourselves these things and try to map out success. Are good grades a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is working hard and making a good wage a good thing? Absolutely. But if, this is the, if these are the only things that we're pursuing, then what are we doing? We're, we're, we're on a, a treadmill going through some motions without a huge long-term goal. You can be a rousing success at what you do for a living and still not have a clue why you're here. So we must find out our significance, and that's the third thing. One of our focuses is, is a significance. If you look at the screen, you'll see a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul reminds us that we are God's masterpiece. And I love other translations. It talks about how we are God's workmanship, that we are crafted by the creator of the universe. But check this out. But what does this say? So we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. You see, you and I were not only created once as as humans, as living beings, but if you are in Christ, you have been reborn. This is what this passage is referring to, that if you are reborn in Christ, not only have you been reborn, but you've been reborn with significance, with purpose to do what? The good things God has planned. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has significance for you. He has a role just for you. You are his workmanship. And this is the context for our lives in God, okay? The whole context for our lives in God and living out his will and his purpose. So you may ask, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) What am I supposed to do? How do I live out success? How do I live out Significance. Well, there's three wrong ways to achieve significance. And let's let's unpack uh, Matthew 20 here just a little bit. If you look at the first two verses in 20 through 21, we see the political power play. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with their sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right hand, and the other on your left. Now, I'm not going to go into the manipulation of women here, okay? Oh, wait. But what is she trying to do? It's almost like it's a, a, a false motive. The attitude behind asking these questions is a little false. She's trying to strong-arm Jesus, right? There's a wrong way when it comes to achieving significance that you and I can, we can power play it, if you will. We can manipulate a situation. The other way is self-serving ambition. That's number two, self-serving ambition. Look at verses 22 and 24, or through 24. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering Am I about to, that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father was, has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Self-serving ambition, what's in it for me? 
What's in it for me? Terrell Owens. Craig mentioned him again this past Sunday. And I'm laughing because uh, I think you guys all know Jonathan Gray as well, that when him and I discuss Terrell Owens, there's a phrase that Terrell always used. Love me some me. <laughs> Love me some me. Think about how social media, in a way, has created a whirlwind of narcissism in our culture. The primary focus in our culture is always self. Self. We're always going to look out for self. I go back to the, the statement of, is that a good thing? Well, in some regards, it is a good thing. I think you need to look out for yourself in a lot of ways. But it's our primary motive to say, well, what's in it for me? Because if the reward is not worth it, I'm not sure if I want to be a part of it. What's the other thing? A wrong motive, something that could be unhealthy. We see the power play. We see the self-serving ambition. We also see the control over other people. To play the, the role of a tyrant, a dictator. Verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials, flaunt their authority over those who are under them. This is one of the wrong ways to achieve significance. You don't have to suppress people or beat people down or lessen their value to boost your self-esteem, to boost who you are. We do not have to play that game. The biblical model for success is literally a pyramid that's been turned upside down by Jesus. Because in our world it says, you got to start at the bottom and work your way all the way to the top. But what Jesus does is he actually just flips the script. And he says, now it's a race to the bottom. <laughs> you think you're here, but it's a race to get down here. What constitutes real success in the eyes of God? How do we find significance? Number one, the key to true success involves serving others. This is the first key, verse 26 and 27. But among you, it will be different. Did you see that? It will be different. He's already drawing attention to the disciples' minds that, listen, what I'm telling you, if you want to be in a great position, not just by rank, but just overall in a good position of life, it will look different. When you and I think of a king, I immediately go back to a lot of different movies. You can go to like The First Night, you can go to like even a Disney movie like Sleeping Beauty, whatever you want to go to in your mind. When you think of a king, what image do you have in your mind? For me, I picture a long hall with columns, marble floors, a huge throne, maybe some people playing some instruments over here, some servants over here, the king sitting right there with you know, the servant coming by with a tray of grapes and feeding the king, you know, doing this kind of thing. That's kind of the, the, the picture I get in a lot of ways with the king. But Jesus is like, this is not the model for the kingdom. What does he say here? What does he say? It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. He's flipping the whole idea of what royalty really looks like. A position of royalty is a position of servanthood, of service. And so what he's saying here is, I love John MacArthur's quote. He says, the cost of true greatness is humble, selfless, and sacrificial service. The Christian who desires to be great and first in the kingdom 
is the one who is willing to serve in the hard place, the uncomfortable place, the lonely place, the demanding place, the place where he is not appreciated and may even be persecuted. Knowing that time is short and eternity long, he is willing to spend and be spent. He is willing to work for excellence without being proud, to withstand criticism without becoming bitter, to be misjudged without becoming defensive, and to withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. Great words by John MacArthur. Great summary of what it looks like. The second thing here is we see how to find significance. One, we saw the key to true success involves serving others. The second is the model for true success is simply Jesus Christ. Isn't that just a beautiful Sunday school answer today? But isn't it profound? that our answer and our model for success is Christ himself. One of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter two. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to flip over there with me. Philippians chapter two. Paul here is, is talking about having the attitude of Christ. And this is what he says. Verses six through nine. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How many times did we hear that, that word humble? Now I know, again, I know we live in the Kingwood humble area, but just for clarification, we're saying humble here, okay? Humble, humility. Gentlemen, I, I believe many of you have shopped at Joseph A. Banks before or Men's Warehouse, one of the two. You've probably bought a suit somewhere and you guys might be able to help me finish this line. For, for a lot of years, the Men's Warehouse had a slogan, you're gonna like the way you look. Thank you. It says, I guarantee it, right? You know what looks good on you and me and all Christians? Humility. Humility is like a tailored suit, and it's something that we've got to wear on a daily basis. It's something we've got to put on. It's something we've got to, we've got to say, this, is, this has got to fit right. <laughs> Lord, you, you have, Lord, you've got to work on my selfishness and my pride, and I'm laying that down, Lord, because this needs to be tailored. If I'm going to live and love and serve in this world, I've got to be dressed in some humility here. I mean, you've got to show up to your, your jobs trying to look good, right? You're trying to look good. You want to look clean, presentable. We should have that same mindset in going into our world that the best way you and I can look to the world, not a facade, but with authenticity, sincerity, is having a fine tailored suit of humility. And how that plays out is we love, we serve. And this is what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus, sitting on his throne in heaven, royalty, stepped out of royalty down into this world, to rags, 
From royalty to rags, he flipped the script on significance and success, and it came by serving. And what did he do? He paid the ransom. The ransom, the great exchange, taking your sin and my sin, serving us, making us clean, washing us clean. We see that in the upper room with his disciples when he washed their feet. True symbolism of the cross. That is success. So how to grow more significant? How to find significance? The key to true success involves serving others. And the model for true success is Jesus Christ. How to grow more significant? First thing we say is, how do I serve others? It's a great question. How do I serve others? What does that look like? How do I serve others? And I would say this, yes, serve your wives and and serve your kids and, and be an incredible employee or an employer. But listen, gentlemen, if you and I are only these things, we miss out on even something that's even far greater. Use your spiritual gifts for the body of Christ, for the glory of God. For other believers in the church, for the community, and for the world. Love your wives, love your kids, be an incredible employee, an employer. But for the kingdom in itself, if you are in Christ, as that that verse in Ephesians chapter two laid out for you and for me, that if we are in Christ, we have been made anew to do the good works that Christ has given for us. So how to grow more significant. Number one, how to grow more significant. Discover your spiritual gifts. Every single one of you gentlemen, for those of you who are in Christ this morning, have spiritual gifts. You might have one, you might have two, you might have five or six. It is a gift from the Lord. As easy as it can be given to you by the Holy Spirit, it can also be taken away. It can also change. It can look different. But you and I must discover what our spiritual gifts are. You say, well, I've taken the spiritual gifts test on paper. And that's all well and good, but sometimes those can be false You know the best way to discover your spiritual gift? Go serve. Get in the trenches. You're like, well, I don't know where to start. Go start. Jump in there. Our church has hundreds of ministries. As a matter of fact, I'm sure Mark would love some help setting up some of this table stuff. You're like, okay. It's a simple thing, a servant thing. I'm sure Mark, I don't know who picks up the donuts, probably Mark. But as a part of Ironman ministry, you know what? Hey, you know what? I go get some donuts. That's a simple thing, right? You're like, is that a spiritual gift? (laughs) Absolutely. You can think of it as hospitality, if you will, because you're helping set a table, providing an environment, a welcoming environment, setting up coffee. Man, these things, they all tie in together. You could find, if you're looking for it, you'll find it. I think we all know that to be true as men. If we're looking for something, We're going to find it. If you're looking to serve, if you're looking to jump in somewhere, you will find it. I can use this illustration best by Craig Reynolds, right? So Craig, um, we all know that he was physically gifted to play baseball. We all know that. But did he sit down when he was nine and take a test that told him he was physically gifted to play baseball? No. What did he do? He played baseball. He started playing different things. He played basketball, baseball, and all the other games that we, we played as kids. And in fact, what happened with Craig is that his passion was actually basketball, not baseball. 
Craig loves basketball. He loved basketball. He's actually really good at basketball. But it was only when he used his physical gifts in different areas that people were more discerning and looked at his gifts and told him that he was gifted. And over time, the encouragement that Craig received from others, and really kind of what he observed on his own playing baseball, listen, is that he was good at doing something, and people confirmed that gift. And that's one of the things that will help us discover our spiritual gift. Jump in there. Begin doing it. Begin serving. And you know what? It's not the right fit. You'll either know it right away or someone will affirm it. If it's the right fit, you're going to know it right away and someone is going to affirm it. But jump in there. And the same thing is true with our spiritual gifts, guys. Don't worry if you're not gifted in an area. You'll get confirmation. But the key for us is to be obedient and to try and use the gifts that God has given us as he opens doors that we would use the gifts. And number two is simply this. How do we grow more significant? We use our gifts. We use our gifts. Discover your gifts, but use your gifts. And I'll go back one more time to Ephesians chapter two that you and I are his workmanship, created anew in Christ to do the good things. And Paul encourages you and I to jump in with both feet. How do you and I define success? How do you and I find our significance? We are successful when God says we are successful. We are successful when God says we are successful. Find exactly where God's calling you to be. Jump in there and serve. Have this attitude of Christ, the the mentality of I'm here to serve I'm here to love, not for my self-ambition, not for what I might get out of it, but so that God can get the glory. And when we have that mentality, I believe God will truly honor that.